doing this. So I and I'm hot. <laughs> yeah. I got it nice and warm for you. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, if you were here this morning, I, I kind of gave away what I was talking I'm going to be talking about tonight. <clears throat> for our last service in 2018, um, I believe God orchestrated this, this subject uh, perfectly. I <clears throat> have been for some time, uh, oh, what's the word? Pondering uh, the idea of worship. And I, I said this morning that the, the world has a lot of information out there what worship is. And <clears throat> I, I, I want to make a disclaimer. Whenever, at least for me, whenever I preach a message like this, uh, my fear is that I will come across as though I am attacking other people other churches, or other methods of worship. And that is not my intent in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but I have spent a, I've been on a journey for several months trying to determine what Scripture says about worship. <clears throat> and that is my only motivation tonight. Uh, worship appears in Scripture 108 times. Now, those of you that have been saved for a while and understand uh, Scripture, would you say that worship is an important thing to God? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. I have a quote for you. It says, Worship is, is an act that develops feelings for God, not feelings for God, that is expressed in the acts of worship. Okay, let, let, I'm going to let this kind of sink in for a second. The, the author of the of the quote is a guy named Eugene Peterson. Have no idea who he is, but I believe he understands the essence of of worship. Let me read it again, so you kind of understand what he's trying to say. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. So, what is Eugene Peterson saying? Worship is an eternal, excuse me, an internal emotion, not an external demonstration of an internal emotion. Does that make sense? <clears throat> So it is it is not an external action. It is an internal emotion that we share with God. That's what worship is. We live in a world that demands entertainment. <clears throat> we we have to be entertained. Uh, I've heard of companies recently that <clears throat> will will do things during the workday to keep employees happy. Uh, it, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. I grew up. You know, I when I was oh in my early twenties, I had just gotten out of the military. 
I was driving truck and and <clears throat> I walked into a warehouse and the warehouse the, the, the warehouse manager had a had a sign on his door that caught my attention. It said new work incentive and I thought, wow, this would be good. I, you know, my first thought was if it's good, I'll take it back to where I work, you know. And it's and it was real simple. It said work or get fired. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work in today's work market, workplace. You know, <laughs> he was a crotchy old guy, but I liked him. But I looked it up on the Internet just, just out of curiosity. And the attention span, what do you think the attention span for a healthy teenager and an adult is today? <laughs> no, no, literally, what, what, what is it? Okay, no, it's longer than three to five minutes. Okay, 10, 10 to 20 minutes, so about 15 minutes. Have you ever wondered why television programs have a commercial about every 15 minutes? Other than the fact they want to sell you stuff? There's a reason for that, because if they don't have commercials periodically, they're going to lose your attention. <laughs> One of the greatest lies that I believe that the devil has fed the church and the church has swallowed today is that worship has to be worked up. Think about it. In reality, worship needs to be prayed down. I, again, I, I, I want to reiterate, I am not taking a shot at any church movement or anything, but I, I had to wrap my head around what worship is. I went to Google and I typed in two phrases. The first phrase was church worship. And then I, I clicked on images. Then, and I, and I, right near the top, I saw an image and I, and I saved it to my uh, download file. And then I typed in, I want to make sure I get this right, rock and roll concert. Clicked on images. And right near the top was an image and I saved it. So I saved both of these images. I sent them to Ashley uh, yesterday or this morning. Anyway, the last 24 hours, I sent them to her because I was going to just show you the two pictures. I thought, you know, it would be really good if you could see them at the same time. And she knows how to put pictures together. I don't know how to do that. So I said, hey, could you put these two pictures together so I can show them at the same time? And here we go. And I didn't surf through images to find these two. These were near the top. Do you see a problem? Now, can anybody tell me which is the rock and roll concert? The, the, the top one. And the only reason is the, the placement of fingers. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I just thought, what are they doing? I, I don't know. But 
<clears throat> there's a disconnect in churches today that we equate this to worship. When in reality, it is anything but worship. It's all external. And, 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 and worship has nothing to do with the external. Many, many churches, and, and you're going to hear me refer to this often, and, and again, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking shots at anybody. That's not my intention tonight. Many churches today have gone to an entertainment-based service where the, the entire service is focused on entertaining for that 15 to 20-minute span. The title of my message, if you're keeping notes, and I'm, you're going to have a lot of notes tonight, so if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're keeping notes, you're going to have to write fast. <clears throat> True worship. I am only interested in giving you what the Bible says about worship. Exodus chapter 19. <clears throat> Let's start reading in verse 10. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the uh, upon, uh, Mount Sinai that thou uh, <clears throat> and thou shalt set boundaries unto the people round about saying take heed to yourselves that ye go not uh, up into the mount or touch the borders of it <clears throat> whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death let's pray dear heavenly father i want to thank you for this day i want to thank you for your precious love for the work that you do in our lives and Lord, as we look at this incredibly important subject tonight, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would open our hearts and help us to see and to know how we can better worship you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In, this, in these verses, I see an incredible warning. The very first first point this evening is never treat God's presence casually or flippantly. Pastor, yes. Oh no way, no way. Okay, well if anybody wants these notes, I can get I can get them for you. Never treat God's presence. Casually or flippantly. What is the very first thing that Moses, uh, that God tells Moses that he wants them to do after Moses sanctifies them? He wants them to wash their clothes. And, and the, 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 the inferred thing here is that they wash themselves. Okay, that they clean themselves. Okay, that's 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 the inferred thing. See, <clears throat> today we take soap and water for granted, do we not? 
we take the ability to wash our clothes uh, for granted. We take the fact that we have closets full of clothes for granted. Do you think that all of the people heard Moses and they thought, oh, let's run to Walmart and get a new shirt. My, my, you know, my, you know, whatever's worn out. And no, there was no run into Walmart. There was none of that. And so something that we would read kind of flippantly was a major thing for these people. Where were they? They were in the desert. And, and water was a premium. And God tells the entire nation to cleanse themselves. <clears throat> the equivalent in the New Testament we would see well <clears throat> well before I go down that road let me let me read you a couple Old Testament passages <clears throat> see putting on new clothing cleaning yourself putting on new clothing that whole thing always carries a sense of new beginning in the Old Testament. Okay? 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. Then David arose from the earth. Okay, what happened in 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verse 19? He lost his baby from Bathsheba. In verse 20, David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself or cleansed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. <clears throat> then he came into his house and when he required uh, and <clears throat> they set bread before him and he did eat. What happened? David, he was a new man. And washing himself and putting on new clothes represented the change that had taken place within Genesis chapter 35, verse 2, And then, then Jacob said unto his household uh, and to all that were with him, Put away uh, the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. We're going to start afresh. So when God brings the nation of Israel to the foot of the mountain, and the very first thing he tells them to do is to clean themselves and their clothes, what is he telling them to do? We're starting all, all over again. And we should not take, take the worship of God flippantly. <clears throat> washing of clothes. Uh, <clears throat> washing and changing of clothes of the Old Testament is the equivalent of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 in the New Testament. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the same. It's the same idea. What they were doing on the outward, God does on the inward. In First John one nine. Second Corinthians chapter seven verse one. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The trend among Christians today is to dress down. 
not dress up. I, I remember when I was a kid, <clears throat> we never went to church. But you know what I had to wear on Easter? And I didn't go to church. Yes! My mom would make me wear a tie. I used to think, for the Easter Bunny? Are you kidding? <laughs> but what happens today? What's, what's popular among many churches today is <clears throat> no perfect people accepted. And that sounds really good. Uh, is anybody perfect? No, absolutely not. The implication is that we want you to come the way you are. Now, is that how God wants us to come? Yes. He wants us to come as we are. But does he want us to stay as we are? No. He wants us to cleanse ourselves. He wants to see a change in our lives. And worship is something that God wants us to take importantly. Is that word? Is that a word importantly? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, point number 1. Never treat God's presence casually or flippantly. Because God demands our best. Well, let, let, let me rephrase that. God deserves our best. Does he not? Point number two. <clears throat> and I'm trying to go fast here because I've got a lot of information for you. But if I go too fast, then I'll be done early. So... <laughs> And the problem is, right, <laughs> my 15 minutes is just about up, Pastor. <clears throat> Point number two. God is to be reproached. God is to be approached with reverence. I want to give you three ways to approach God. First one, in righteousness. Righteousness literally means the act in according in accord with divine or moral law free from guilt or sin. How are we to, to, to approach God the same way he asked the people to do? Go wash yourselves. Before you've got two days to get ready. One of the things that I have tried to do, and I forget often, but I try to do, is on Saturday, long about dinner time, I try and start to prepare mentally and spiritually for Sunday. Not because I'm a pastor. I started doing that long before I was a pastor. Why? I want to... Oftentimes, I, again, I don't always think of it, but oftentimes I'll say, God, is there any sin in my life I need to take care of? 
I don't want anything between me and my Savior. When I go to church on Sunday, I want to worship. And I don't want anything to hold to be between me and Him. It's that cleansing process. Proverbs chapter 15 Verse 9 says, The wicked, excuse me, the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. John chapter 14, verse 15. <clears throat> if ye love me, keep my commandments. Righteousness. Number two. And this is where things start to get a little interesting. With Restraint. With restraint. Look at verse 12 of our passage. <clears throat> and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the, uh, into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. You think, but wait, that's not fair. God has boundaries for worship? Absolutely. Who sets the parameters to worship God? He does. Not you and me. In other words, worship is not a free-for-all, like the picture we saw. That is not worship. I don't know what that is. It's not worship. There are boundaries. And God is so concerned about those boundaries, what happens if you cross the line? Well, we're getting there. <laughs> Who's preaching this message, by the way? <clears throat> let, let, let me ask you a question. Is there a difference between a holy God and a sinful man? Absolutely there is. Why would we think that we could approach a holy God? Well, we're getting there. <laughs> you guys are still in my message. <clears throat> Do you think quite possibly that in the camp of two to three million Jews in the desert camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, do you think that there was a Brandon in that group? Okay, I'm going to pick on Brandon because I love Brandon. I love Brandon to death. You have no idea how much I love this kid because he loves God. Do you think that there was a young man or a young woman in that two plus million people that just wanted to get a little closer to God. Okay. There were probably several. But what would happen if Brandon crossed the line? God would what? Have him put to death. But we'd say, but, but wait a minute. I know Brandon. Brandon's got great intentions.
Okay? See, what are intentions? Intentions are feelings. And we cannot worship based on our feelings. That is not worship. In, in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, there's two guys mentioned here. And I believe these two guys could have had the right intention. And Nabath and Abihu, the sons of the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein, and put uh, incense thereon, and offered strange fire before God, which he commanded them not. And there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. See, God has parameters. And we are to worship with restraint. Whether these men were sincere, I don't know. I can't judge what is in another man's heart. I can't do that. But I can tell you that God was very, very specific in his setting of the boundaries. And he told he told Moses, not only are they not allowed on the mountain, but they're not even allowed at the foot of the mountain. We can look at that and think, well, that's not fair. You know what? He's God, we're not. Number three, the third way to <clears throat> approach God is with respect. Verse 21, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge uh, the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. What was God concerned about? God was concerned that the people get so excited that they break through the barriers and they cross over and ultimately they would have to die. we need to approach God with respect. Again, worship is nothing that can be worked up. It needs to be prayed down. And I understand, going to, I think it was Ronnie's question, that we are in a different dispensation. And if you want to talk dispensations, we can talk about that. Basically, what that means is that we're in a different time. We live in the New Testament economy, and the Jews lived in the Old Testament economy. I I understand that. We live in the New Testament economy, and we we emphasized, I emphasized it uh, just, uh, I, I don't know, a week or two ago, uh, the fact that God is with us. We read it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, <clears throat> which being interpreted is God with us. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
By his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ opened a door, did he not, for us, where we can go to the throne of God, where we do not need a mediator between us and God. Christ opened that door. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We can draw nigh to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, Let us draw nigh with a true heart in, in, in uh, full assurance and faith, having our hearts sprinkled <clears throat> from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, in all of that, nowhere in Scripture that I've been able to find are we to be, quote-unquote, chummy with God. God does not change. Our access to God changed. But God has not changed. And he is the righteous, holy God of Moses as he is today. The respect for God has not changed. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Wherefore, we we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God uh, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. God has not changed. The boundaries that God set in the Old Testament are still factors today. The only difference is, in the Old Testament, they needed a priest to be forgiven for their sins. We can go straight to God and be forgiven. But the respect for God has not changed. Then I want to. Oh, I got. I got plenty of time. Okay, I've been talking so fast. I, I'm. Whew, I'm thirsty. <clears throat> I want to spend the remainder of this evening talking about the third point. Turn over to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And this is something that many people forget. Point number three, God is angered at irreverent worship. Exodus chapter 32. Let's start reading in verse one. Here you go, Danny. You ready? (laughs) And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us, for as for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, uh, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. 
And all the people break off the golden earrings <clears throat> which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And, and, and by the way, who is Aaron? Moses' brother. The priest. The high priest. How, how, how disheartening. In verse 4, And he received them at his hand and fashioned it with a uh, graving tool uh, after uh, he had made it a molten calf. And uh, they said, uh, These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, um, but, and by the way, how do you think that Aaron did everything in verse 4 in, in just a few hours? Oh, no. This is a process. This is a process. This just, just didn't just happen. This was a process. And <clears throat> verse 5, And Aaron saw it and built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, uh, Tomorrow uh, is a feast to the Lord. <clears throat> and they rose up early on the, on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down <clears throat> uh, to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, take thee, uh, get thee down uh, for thy people, which thou uh, broughtest out of the land of Egypt, uh, have corrupted themselves. I love verse 7. How, how does God refer to the nation of Israel? Not his people. <laughs> it's like when our kids were bad. My wife would look at me and say, Go deal with your children. <laughs> she she wasn't taking any responsibility. I, I just I love verse seven. I just think it's, it's humorous. Uh, verse eight. Uh, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have uh, worship, worshipped it and have sanctified unto it. Uh, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it is a what? Stiff-necked Stiff people. How very sad. I want to look at five indicators. Five indicators of irreverent worship that we just read. <clears throat> the first one, and I believe goes to the core, really, of all of it, is boredom with the familiar. Boredom with the familiar. Well, they did exactly what their masters did in Egypt. Well, they did. They did, but where were they? Okay, they were in the desert, but, but where were they camped? They were they were camped at the at the mount the, the the foot of Mount Sinai, and what was happening on the mountain? Okay, the the clouds and the fire and the smoke and all of the stuff that was was going on was happening. And <clears throat> um, keep your keep something here and go back to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 16, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning 
that there were thunder, thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp, what? Trembled. So in chapter 19, when they arrive at the mountain, they see the presence of God on the mountain. And what did they do? They trembled. But what happened? They got old. Now all of a sudden, let, let me equate it to us today. It's time to go to church. Are you kidding me? I remember when I got saved. I could hardly wait for church to start. I would I would get to church early just to sit in the parking lot waiting for church to start because I wanted to be around God's people. I wanted to hear the word of God. And then all of a sudden, it was no longer important. Do I really have to go to church? What happened? They went from trembling to irreverence. I want to make an observation again here. I don't know if you, I, I, and I, I don't consume myself with it, but I try to keep up with what's going on in Christendom today. Entertainment-based churches are constantly having to up their game, so to speak. They start off with instruments and a, and a stage, then they might have a few lights and then they're adding lights and they're doing this and they're doing that. And, and nowadays, as we saw in the picture, the line between the world and the church is so thin. But see, churches are having to do these things to bring people in because what happens, <clears throat> what happens when you bring somebody into your church via entertainment, you, you got the, the way you keep them is by upping the entertainment. But what happens to that individual? Because they're not based in the Word of God, they're based in their emotions. What happens to that individual? when they get down the road and they run into a hard time in their life. They turn away from God. They don't feel good when they're making their decisions. Yeah, the, feeling, the good feeling is gone. Boredom with the familiar. The second indicator of irreverent worship we see in verse 1. Seeking an experience. Seeking and experience. Look at verse 1. He says, Make us gods which shall go before us. What should be 
the driving force in your life? Well, yeah, but faith. Faith should be the thing that drives us, not our emotions, not not experiences. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Is In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it is a, a very clear definition of what faith is. And faith has nothing to do with experiences. We can't touch it, feel it, see it, taste it, hear it, but we can live it. Experiences are going to come and go, and they're going to let us down. They're going to build us up. They're going to let us down. They're going to build us up. They're going to let us down. It is a constant roller coaster that the majority of Christians today ride. And when life gets tough, they have no substance to support the lifestyle. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, not experience. The just shall live by faith. When we allow experience to dominate our lives, we rob faith from our lives. Worship and faith are intermingled. And if we are going to worship God, we have to do it in faith. I was talking with someone about worship. This has been a few years ago. And they, they told me, they said, well, when I worship God, I do. And they gave me a thing that they do and I looked at him and I said that's not biblical and this individual looked at me and said I don't care it makes me feel good how's that I've had people that have come to our church. And they'll, they'll say things like, you know, because I, I, I try and visit all the people that come and come and visit the church. I try, I try. And I've had people say, well, Pastor, you know, we really enjoyed the service. We loved your message. Um, but uh, we just need more contemporary music. We, we just cannot handle the music at your church. What, what are they saying? They, they need that experience. See, if they, don't, if they don't ride the wave of experience, then they've not worshipped. See, they don't understand what worship is. Worship isn't an external action. It's an eternal, internal emotion.
we are all guilty of the next one. Letter C, stubborn hearts. Look at verse 4 of verse chapter 32. <clears throat> verse 4. And he received them uh, at their hand. Yeah. Yeah, and he received them at, at their hand and fashioned uh, it with a graving tool that he made it uh, a molten calf. And they said, These shall be thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. How horribly, I, I don't even know how the right word, giving credit to a molten calf of the miracles that God had done, that is beyond sacrilegious. That, that, that's beyond heresy. That's why God said, Moses, your people are messing up. <laughs> you need to go straighten them out. But look, but look at verse 9 again. And, Moses said on, or, and the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. How does God see people from the heart? He had seen the hearts of these people. And how did he describe them? Stiff-necked people. We're all guilty of it. And I hope you're not pious enough to be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not that way. Well, you just proved you are. Literally, he is describing people that were bent on worshiping God their own way. And that is exactly what we do when we do not understand what it means to worship. We worship God on our platform. We worship God by saying, this is what I'm going to do for you this week, instead of saying, what do you want me to do for you this week? We wake up in the morning and we sit down and we read our Bibles and we pray on our terms. Okay, God, you've got 20 minutes. We walk into church with a chip on our shoulder. And don't tell me you haven't done it, because we all do. We walk into church with a chip on our shoulder and we sit there and we say, okay, God, do your work. Is he going to work in your life? No. A stiff-necked people. Here's another one we're all guilty of. We see in verse 8. Lack of patience, letter D, lack of patience. And they turn aside quickly. The time between Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus 32 wasn't that long. Now we can we can sit there and think, oh well, that's a lot of you know that's a lot of words and you know no, it, it wasn't that long. How did God describe the movement quickly? Irreverent worship 
is not nothing that is produced quickly. It cannot be <clears throat> manufactured by entertainment or even a motivating sermon. It cannot be manufactured. Worship has to be produced through time and with a pure heart. It is my heart communing with God. Now I'm going to say something here. I don't know if this is the right way to right time to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. <clears throat> you may not know this. And I don't know if other pastors experience this. I, I truly don't. But I spend hours upon hours upon hours preparing for messages. Uh, typically, on an average message, I can have anywhere between 4 to 10, sometimes 12 hours tied up in a single message. And I can't tell you how many times I've stood here and preached a message and God has smote my heart. And I knew what I was going to say. But see, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to reach the hearts of men. Amen. And even though I'm the one preaching, God can still use it to speak to my heart. And one of the mistakes that we make is we become impatient. And I think that has to go back partially to the boredom with the things of God. I think it's all interconnected somehow. And then finally, and, and, and this is incredibly important, letter E, feeding the flesh. Look at <clears throat> verse 6 of our passage. And they rose up early on the morrow and <clears throat> offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down uh, to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Look down to verse 25. And when Moses saw the people were naked, for Aaron had made them uh, naked unto their shame among their enemies. The word naked here carries the idea of no clothing. But it really means that <clears throat> they just let loose. They were out of control. And, 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 and a lot of that had to do with the way they were dressed or not dressed or whatever you want to put it. But they just let loose. They lost control. What does entertainment feed in our lives? Our flesh. And when we allow entertainment to quote-unquote be worship, we are robbing ourselves from the opportunity to worship because we're, we're feeding the flesh and instead of the Spirit. I want to close with this and, and then we'll be done. A.W. Tozer wrote, What is worship? Worship is to feel in your heart and express in some appropriate manner a humble 
but delightful sense of admiring awe and astonished wonder and overpowering love in the presence of the most ancient mystery, that majesty which philosophers call the first cause, but which we call our Father, which art in heaven. See, churches today, and again, please understand my heart. Many churches today, in an attempt to get people in the door, have raised generations of Christians that have grown up on emotion and entertainment. They've not encouraged true worship. When I use the word worship this morning, some of you heard me say it for the first time, I'm sure that some people, and then even people in here tonight that were not here this morning, oftentimes when we see the word worship or we hear the word worship, our minds go immediately to the pictures that we saw. And true Bible believers are afraid of the word worship because we don't want to be associated with that. Don't let the world steal away something that God has commanded us to do. And that is to worship. And when you come to church, you should be walking out of here communing with God in your heart and and praising God and saying, thank you, Jesus. Not walking out saying, man, that was exciting. Because that's not worship. That's experience. You got a question? I didn't look it up. I, I don't know. I, I, we've... There was a Bible college class in worship. I think it's good that the English word for worship is based off of worship. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, compound word. Yes, I did know that. I just had forgotten. Yeah. Well, it, it, I'm late. <clears throat> I, I appreciate you bearing with me. We're past the 20-minute 